0: All right, go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something you can take notes with this morning. We are a note-taking church. Still, after sabbatical, right? Y'all take notes this summer? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and don't worry, we will get to Ephesians. (laughs) Oh, shoot, where did we go here? All right. we are continuing a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called We the Church, and basically what we're talking about is ecclesiology, and I thought that We the Church was a better title than ecclesiology, so that's where we're going with that. What that means is it's the theology of the church. What does the Bible teach us? What does God teach us about the church? We all have our own opinions and experiences and preferences and all of that sort of stuff, and there's a place for that, but at the foundation of who we are as Christians, we each have a responsibility to have a, a biblically formed understanding of what does God mean when he talks about the church. The first week we talked about we are we the church are his possession. We belong to the Lord. The, the Greek word kuriakon means we be, the belonging to the Lord. It's, that's what the word means. We are not our own. The church is not ours. We belong to the Lord and the church is his possession. Possession, This is his. Number two, his temple. Last week, we talked about his temple. We aren't an empty building. We are being built together on the foundations of the apostles and the, and the prophets with Christ Jesus as our cornerstone to be a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. Part three this week, we're going to be talking about we, the church, his body. His body. First Corinthians chapter 12. We're gonna cover a lot of ground today. So go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. Did I tell you 12 through 31, Zach? That's what we're about to do. That's what this draft of the sermon says. So (laughs) for just as the body is one. And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Interesting, it doesn't say, so it is with the church. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member. But many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong uh, belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is... Giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our lives to be shaped by your word. We surrender ourselves to you, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, speak and move among us as you have been already. We thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for bringing us here together and for what you have planned for us by your glorious word. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you last week, we started off by telling, I told you, you've got some work to do when we talked about the temple, because that's not something we're super familiar with, the idea of a temple. You've got work to do this week, too, not because the concept or the phrase we're talking about is unfamiliar, but because it is familiar, and I want to encourage you to do what you can to kind of step out of the familiarity you have with what I've already read this morning, even the phrase I've already said this morning, the body of Christ, and with what I am about to read you from the word of God, yes, there's more Bible coming your way. I want to encourage you, get, get, step away from the familiarity for just a second and do what you can to kind of try to hear this as if for the first time. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, which is, oops, his body and is himself its Savior. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And Ephesians chapter 5 tells us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. We, the church, are not just a body of people. We are not just a body of believers. We are not just a religious body, a political body, an ethnic body, an interest body. We, the church, are the body of Jesus Christ. And in the same way that no one hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, Christ loves, not just you individually, Christ loves his church. Husbands, love your wives, not as Christ loved you, but as Christ loved the church and gave himself, not for you, for the church. Why? Why did Christ love the church as his own body and give himself for her? That he might sanctify her, cleanse her. Present her to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. For just as your body has many members, but is one, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. I'm not sure how the rest of the message that I'm going to preach needs exactly to be said or needs exactly to be heard by each one of you individually. Um, So if you need something as a rebuke, take it as that. If you need something as an encouragement, take it as that. I just got to go for it and (laughs) preach it. And I'm going to trust the Lord to speak to us. The whole point of the message is Jesus really loves his church. Yes. And as disciples of his, we need to be discipled in that love of his church. People like to talk about the church. Christians like to talk about the church, you know, the church out there. They, the church. Or usually, a lot of times, it means the church, the Christians I don't like. <laughs> The church, the the, the American church, the church. People like to talk about the church, what it is, what it isn't, what it's good at, what it's bad at, what you like about it, what you don't like about it. Non-Christians like to talk about the church, what it is, what it isn't, what it's good at, what it's bad at, what they like about it, what they don't like about it. When Jesus knocked Saul off his horse as he was on the road to Damascus to kill and imprison Christians, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Do you understand that when you speak about the church, you are speaking to Jesus about his possession that he obtained with his own blood? Do you understand that you are speaking to God about his own house? Do you understand that you are speaking to Jesus Christ about his very own body? If and when you speak about the church, I suggest you do so in an appropriate manner, which is to say, with trembling in the fear of God. When and if you want to speak of the church, speak of the church only from understanding these three things. Number one, the church doesn't belong to you. It isn't about you. And it doesn't function around you. Number two, it does belong to Jesus. It is about Jesus. And it does function around Jesus. And number three, anytime you want to talk about the church, understand this. The church you're talking about, Jesus is building it. He is sanctifying it. He is preparing it. He is nourishing it. He is cherishing it. He is leading it. And he's doing a really, 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 really super-duper good job of it. There are times to discuss methods, mistakes, questions, problems, and even people. But that is to be done with the fear of God, not with arrogance and selfishness. You can have opinions about people and what people do or say and the like, but I suggest that if or when you speak about the church, the church this or that, the church did or didn't, the church does or doesn't, you do so very carefully because the builder, the owner, and the head of what you're talking about happens to be the all-powerful eternal God of the heavens and the earth. And when you read the Bible, you will not find a place where he asks you for your input on what he's doing. But you will find plenty of places where he makes it clear that he cares whether or not you stand in opposition of what he's doing. Whether you are constructing or deconstructing what he is building. Whether you are loving or hating what he is cherishing and sanctifying. We, the church, are the body of Christ. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When we speak of being his possession, we're speaking of our identity as the church. When we speak of being his temple, we speak of our holiness as the church. And when we speak of being his body, we speak of our unity as the church. Buzzword alert. Unity. What does that mean? What does that mean, unity? Unity in the church. Lots of conversation everywhere you look about unity. What's it mean? What does God mean when he speaks of his Unified church. The legend of, anybody familiar with the legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table? Camelot, the glorious kingdom. Arthur, its king. The Round Table, the knights that are at its core, that come around and they sit at a round table so that no one's seat is primary. The idea is that we all come around this round table and everyone's equal at the table, even King Arthur. Even King Arthur is just one of the knights at the round table, and they all take out their swords and they lay them down and they point towards the center of the table. They disarm themselves and they all come as one, not for themselves in their own opinion, but they come around Camelot. There was an idea at the center of that round table it wasn't a physical thing you could look at, but what, all they were, what they were gathered around, what they pointed their swords to, was this unified idea. We're all here for what's at the center of this table, Camelot. We're here for what is in the best interest of Camelot, what will best serve Camelot. We're all laying ourselves down because there's something at the center of this gathering. Their unity came... When together in their diversity, their different personalities, strengths, weaknesses, experiences, ideas, opinions, preferences on what was ever about to be discussed, they brought their diversity around the center. None of them were at the center, they were all there to submit to and serve the center. When we talk about unity, maybe the shape that comes to mind is the circle who's at the table? Who's in the circle? A circle is defined by its center, not by its circumference. It's defined by its center, not by its size. It's defined by its center, not by its volume. It's defined by its center. And to prove it, I looked it up on dictionary.com. It says a circle is a closed plane curve consisting of all points at a given distance, from a point within it called the center. You can have a curve, you can have a line, you can have a shape, but without a center, you don't have a circle. A circle isn't defined by its shape, it's defined by the center. A circle isn't a circle because it's round, a circle is a circle because of its center. And everything orients around that. Once that singular center is defined, the circumference can expand or contract. It can become infinitely large, circling around that infinitely small center. Unity in the body of Christ is not about our circumference or what the circle holds. Unity in the body of Christ is defined by our center. Unity in the body of Christ is not something we are looking for as we try to navigate the challenge of all of our differences. Unity, according to the Bible, unity in the body of Christ is something we have. We have it. We have as we all join around and orient around the center who is Christ. The kingdom of God has a center. It's not an idea at the center of a table, it is a throne at the center of a kingdom. And Jesus is on it. And we are unified when we all lay ourselves down like the knights of the round table laid down their swords. And we point at the center and orbit around the center of all things. Who is at the center forever and ever. Amen. Unity in Christ is not something that's going to be found trying to agree on all of the issues around the circumference. Unity in Christ is found when we all submit to the same center. I want to briefly touch on two ideas that popularly get pointed to as evidence of divisions in the body of Christ when unity in Christ is discussed. And I want to approach them from the perspective that aims to begin at the center and emanate out, as opposed to standing on the periphery and looking in. The two ideas that I want to talk about are the idea that denominations are a division and that uh, racial diversity or lack thereof is a sign of division. First, I want to just briefly speak about this idea that denominations and however many thousands there are is evidence that we are more divided than ever. But that's not necessarily the case Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, Anglicans, Pentecostals, and of course the best denomination, non denomination. (laughs) We are unified in Christ as long as we are in Christ. Unity in the church is not going to be finally accomplished when there are no more denominations and everyone in the city and everyone in the state and everyone in the nation and everyone in the world goes to the same church. That's obviously an absurd idea. How would you even go about that? We are not each local church or each denomination a body of Christ and then together we are the bodies of Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The second idea that is often pointed to as evidence of a lack of unity in the church is a lack of racial diversity across um, whatever certain local churches in the United States that you're talking about at the time. The body of Christ, the body of Christ, the, the church that you are a part of right now is the most racially, ethnically, socioeconomically diverse body of people the world has ever seen not talking about little old Antioch, Indy. I'm talking about the body of Christ. We, the church, are the most influential body of people on the whole of humanity in the history of the world. We, the church, are getting closer and closer to reaching every nation, tribe, and tongue on planet Earth with the name of Jesus. Political empires have tried this stuff. Political empires, they have risen and they have fallen, trying to unify the world around governments. Dynasties have risen and fallen, trying to dominate the world through ethnic isolation. We'll just be us and do our thing. Tyrants have risen and fallen, trying to dominate the world through ethnic superiority and supremacy. But governments and cultures and the flesh of man can keep their methods of trying to unite people to themselves, as far as I'm concerned. Because their minds are set on things of the flesh, which are death. They are temporally focused. They are caught up in mindless genealogies and arguments. Their hearts are corrupt and they are debased in their thinking. Jesus himself has proven for thousands of years and in every corner of the globe that he already knows best how to unify humanity. Everyone, everywhere come. Everyone, everywhere, come near to the throne of grace. Look upon the lamb who was slain. Be born again by the Holy Spirit. Baptized into the body of Christ from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And lose yourself for all of eternity with your brothers and sisters in the song of heaven and the song of the nations. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. My friend is a a pastor in town, and he's the pastor of Epiphany Lutheran Evangelical Church. I watched one of his services online this week, and I was like, wow, this kind of feels like being in a different universe. It was so different, (laughs) so different, like multiple, like beautiful podiums, like we've got this thing, (laughs) like wooden, you know, just beautiful robes you know massive crucifix of Jesus like not a screen you know right there and just totally totally different no band uh, organ big green robes all over the place it was only 50 minutes from start to finish just different <laughs> but as i was watching i was just struck as as this church that I've never been to, you've probably never heard of, recited the Apostles' Creed. As my friend, Pastor Mills, talked, read from the Bible and gave this beautiful exhortation of thinking about the peace of Christ from Christ's perspective, not from the world's. And as he administered communion to the saints. Every day... That I drive anywhere, I pass the campus of a multi site church in town, a majority black church called Eastern Star. And I watched one of their services online this week too. And it was different. It was different than, than us. The, the, the music was different, the flow was different, it looked different. There was a lot that was different about it. But then Pastor Johnson got up and started preaching. And he just before I think before he was even done praying, he had preached most of the Bible (laughs) and called everyone in the building into salvation. And his quote was, and I know that it's done in Jesus name. Like if you're lost, you're not even allowed to leave until you get saved. (laughs) (laughs) He talked about Jesus being the beginning and the end. He talked about Jesus Christ being the only way is unto salvation. He talked about his story of being baptized as a kid at the church he grew up in, into the Christian faith. We will not be united with Epiphany Lutheran Evangelical Church and Eastern Star once we all finally agree on robes or bands or service length or how we balance out the percentage of skin colors in the building, or when we dissolve all three churches and become one church. The church will not become unified when all Christians agree on smoke machines (laughs) and pedo-baptism and the millennial reign of Christ, whether we should have multiple campuses or not. How often we take communion, if Trump is a demon or a prophet, every local church having an equal percentage of people from every one of the skin colors, how loud the music should be, if there should be music at all, the color of the carpet, how much staff people get paid. We are unified with Epiphany Lutheran and Eastern Star. The church is unified. When we aren't all hands. When we aren't all feet. When we don't all speak in tongues. We aren't all apostles or prophets or teachers. We aren't all eyes or ears. We aren't all seen. We aren't all hidden. But when Christ is our head. We are unified. As the body of Christ. He is the center And if you want to change the center, you better understand you're changing the circle. He is the head. If you want something else to be the head, you need to understand you're changing the body. But as long as he is the center, as long as he is the head, according to the Bible, we are one. We are united in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, for Christ as his body. And we will walk in that unity when we spend more of our lives living from the center of the kingdom out yes. instead of from the peripheral working our way in. Good. Good yeah. so good. We're all different from each other. Not only is that not a problem, It's by design. And we are all unified together in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to just take a second. We're going to do Sailor round two. It's before we close. First Corinthians chapter 11 talks about taking communion and Paul's writing to the Corinthian church talking about how they don't wait for each other to eat the meal. He's talking more about a meal and they have all these divisions and selfishness and all this sort of stuff. He's like, some of y'all are drunk before the rest of the people even get to dinner. And he's like, am I supposed to commend you in this? No. For all kinds of reasons. But he says this, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Sounds important. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. It's a beautiful picture of the wisdom of the man and woman of God to present yourself to the Holy Spirit. Now, while you have breath and say, in your mercy, judge me. Search my heart and judge me. Find any grievous way in me. Find any division in me. Find any sin in me and get it out now. Get it out now while I might still turn. While I might still live in an opposite way. Search my heart and purify me, O oh God. All right. Band, you guys can come up. We're gonna sing a song. I want you to go ahead and stand. And just as, we're just going to be quiet for a second, and they're going to be fiddling around, and that's okay. So here's some clicks and noises and stuff. But that's all right. I'm just going to say, Holy, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we really want to come to you right now, and we ask you, in, in by your mercy, would you come and convict us in this room right here that we might live under you, united with you. I pray that you would search our hearts and any division between us, whether that be division in people in this room or division from other people that are yours. We're going to worship and sing, and it's a song about communion. It's a song about the body of Christ, and our prayer team's going to come forward and uh, just be available for you if you need anything. If you need to repent and confess your sin, that you might be forgiven and healed of anything that the Holy Spirit's bringing up to you. Come and talk to somebody on a prayer team, the person you came with. If you're here this morning and you know that you are divided from the body of Christ because of unbelief, you haven't confessed your sins to him, come. Come to the throne of grace. Come and talk to somebody in the prayer team. Talk to the person who came. Bend your knee to the Lord. Be born again. It's a great day to find salvation in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would bind us together in the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would teach us to believe according to your word, live according to your word. And Lord, I pray that as your disciples, we would leave this morning more in love with you and more in love with your body, your church, our brothers and sisters, your temple, your possession that we came in here. I pray, God, that you would stir up that fire in us, that we would remember your body, that we would remember your blood that we would love and celebrate and partner with you in the cherishing of, the nourishing of, the sanctifying of, the loving of your church, your body. We present ourselves to you right now as living sacrifices. Send your fire, Holy Spirit.